Well, good morning. I am Pastor Dyer. It's my distinct honor and privilege to be here with you this morning in proclaiming God's Word, and not just proclaiming it, but hearing it, and then ultimately not just being hearers of God's Word, but ones that do it and put it into practice, especially with today's text. Uh, if you're following along, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and so that's in the New Testament, the latter half of your Bible, if you're uh, kind of paging through there. Again, the books of the Bible are just a collection, right? We've got Old Testament, New Testament. The reason it's called Old is because they're just simply older than the uh, ones that were written in the first century when Jesus was alive, okay? And so most of our time this morning is going to be spent in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, it's always good. Uh, the text that we have this morning is uh, uh, just a few selected verses in there, but I'm going to kind of be in and around that. So if you've got your smartphone, you've got a Bible app, you can pull that up and follow along as well. We are in the business of reorientation this month, meaning that the way we've been going as we look at our lives might not be the best direction or the best way that we have been going. If we have been headed down a certain path or a certain way, and sometime uh, along the way we realize this is not getting me to where I think I need to be going, well, it's time to reorient. You see, reorientation is that adjustment. You're, you're realigning, Right? It means that you, you are doing that for yourself or your ideas. And a lot of times I find that it's people's ideas first that need to be reoriented, and then it's our actions. Now, I do want to let you know that psychologists and sociologists also believe that you can change actions first, which then will change ideas. So literally, you can change behavior by practicing behavior, and then down the road, you start to change your belief about it. Again, psychologists believe that this has to do with this, this dissonance theory, meaning that if you act a certain way, but you believe differently, there's going to be a little collision. And if you keep acting in that good, positive way, eventually the thoughts and the beliefs behind it will change. Now, it doesn't always work, but it does have some merit. All right? So this morning, just as a word of practice before we even get into the 1 Corinthians text, I'd like you to just hold the hand of the person next to you. This activity is strictly for my nephew, who is 17 years old and refuses to hold hands with anyone. <laughs> now, you think it's bad in your families, right? You know, oh, I can't believe Dad talked about me at business. You know, I can't imagine being part of the pastor's family, right? You can just get all your junk put up here in front, okay? This is all good stuff. Now, I didn't say quit holding hands with the person next to you. You're still supposed to keep doing. See, I'm changing some of your behaviors. Whether you believe you should be touching the people next to you or not, which many of you are like, no, there is a chair between us and the next family, and we have not met them yet. There is no touching. Or we do know who that family is and we are still not touching. <laughs> not quite sure where you stand on that, okay? But even something as simple as, as grabbing hands with someone does this. It removes certain barriers and have now just made it possible for you to possibly reorient. Now, 
if you're not going to listen to me for the rest of the sermon because you're still thinking about the sweaty hand of the person next to you, go ahead and release that hand. Okay? I know. That that was a little much. We took about 30 seconds of changed behavior there. Okay? When we're reorienting, we're focusing on sections of Scripture that have lists. Lists of things only because we have a tendency to remember them a little bit easier. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes about love. Right? Oh, we could break into song. What's love got to do? Got to do right? I mean, we we jump that out there. We could jump into a lot of other things. Worship team is rolling their eyes right now, going, "Please let the professionals do this." Love. I want you to think about the term before we even get into the scripture verse. I want you to uh, to unpack it a little bit amongst yourselves. Um, what is love? Uh, what is the word referring to? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? Is it an action? What is love? Is it an adjective? Is it a verb? Is love something that is easily quantifiable, meaning you can describe it? What is love? Well, if you ask, right, some first and second graders what love is, right, can you picture how their response is? What is love? Ew. Right? I mean, they're kind of going, yeah, it's not good. I mean, I know 15 and 16-year-old boys. What is love? Ew. I know 30-year-old men. What is love? Ew. Okay, obviously we haven't taught very well if that is the reaction. What is love? Is it I love a hot dog? Well, you know, I mean, Jason's Deli makes a mean hot dog. They have the perfect relish. Can add a side salad to it. Woo! I love cheese. I mean, is that what we're talking about? I mean, just a description. I mean, all you uh, Packers fans, sorry, you're going down in flames today to my Cowboys. <laughs> what? Did, did I not just win friends and influence people there? Huh. I love my cowboys. Is that the kind of love we're talking about? You see, all too often I think what we have a tendency to do with the term love is we use it as a descriptor for how I feel about someone or something. Meaning... I have affection towards you. I love you. We always wait in the dating relationship, right? Who says I love you first? And then a lot of times, remembering, oh, I'm the one that said I love you first. And then love is used as a weapon, right? That's not biblical. And quite frankly, in Scripture... Love, if ever, is used in an affection term. In Greek, there's three basic words, eros, which means an erotic love, a sexual love, a a, relationship very deep in that marriage relationship, right? A a very intimate, uh, one-on-one experience. And, And so eros is spoken of in Scripture, and God says, be careful, make sure it stays where it should be and only there. That's not what we're talking about today. Second kind is philos, 
Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philos is a brotherly love. And this is, this is what happens oftentimes between teammates, sometimes siblings even. They kind of have this brotherly love, this genuine affection. Uh, again, ladies, you show this brotherly love amongst each other by, by, by being around each other, uh, getting up to go to the bathroom together. That's kind of, you know, a filios like You never thought of it quite that way, do you? You know? Guys, this is when you hit each other, okay? Hey, how you doing? Awesome. Oh, man, that felt great. That's kind of philos love. But today we're talking about agape love. And I guarantee you, you're not going to like this definition. Because it goes against the core of who you are. You see, agape love is self-sacrificing love. It's a self-dying love. It means you get rid of yourself. It means you die. It means self-forgetting. It's you giving up your rights. It's you giving up the past. It's you giving up yourself. Agape love is the highest ideal of God. Agape love is perfectly given to us by God the Father himself, where it says that God so loved the world, he so self-sacrificed, he so forgot the past, he so did whatever it took that he sent his one and only begotten son to die. took a big risk in that. You see, this is why you're not going to like the word agape love, because it takes risk. And many of you know you've had your hearts broken. You've risked that kind of self-sacrificing love before, and you've had it stomped on. And you said, never again. I won't do it. Not taking the risk. What's in it for me? I don't want to be hurt. Can't make me do it. And there's the problem. It is. This is, this is why your relationships stink. This is why your marriages are not the best that they could be. This is why your family extended relationships, ugh, you dread. This is why at work you just want to go in, plug, keep your head down, do your thing, and leave. Because we stink at love. Because love is an action verb. It requires us to do something with it. And what Paul is describing to the people here in Corinth is he's saying, I get that there's been a lot of action in your life. I'm just telling you, it's the wrong action. And when you haven't had action, why, why else do you expect that people look at you and go, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're no different than us. Now, I know I'm not talking to family after family after family this morning that have perfect marriages. 
I know right now there are, there are those of you in marriage relationships right now that are going, he better not ask us to talk to one another this morning. Maybe you should. There's broken relationships between moms and kids, fathers and sons, dads and daughters. See, it's, it's like we don't want to talk about it. And Paul's going, talk about it. Please talk about it. If you want to reorient, then you got to go here. you you got to talk about the love or the lovelessness in your relationships. You're going to have to go there. And some of you have been married 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and you're going, there is no way. We're just going to try to ride this thing out. On the 20th of this week, we have two families here at Family of Christ. One will celebrate their 49th wedding anniversary, and the other, 65. Prayed for both of those couples this morning at the 8 o'clock service by name. Both sets of couples came up to me afterwards and says, you don't know how right it is about the grace of God. <laughs> right? And those two couples have been married longer than most of you have been alive. Only by the grace of God. The other thing they told me was they had both been willing to change over their entire marriage. That when confronted with the word of God, they repented. And I thought, how apt and how important to share with you this morning that this idea of God's perfect, sacrificing, self-dying love is attainable in glimpses and short little quips in our life. And when we don't meet it, and when we don't get there, that there is forgiveness. So I just want to paint that picture right off the bat. Because I don't want to be painting a picture this morning that to many of you go, that's unattainable. Or to others, man, I've already messed that up. There's no going back now but that it's possible by the grace of God to love again. First Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. The actual word here means long-suffering. How about that, right? Long-suffering. Patience sounds so much more positive. <laughs> patience, oh, I, I might be able to pray for patience. My spouse might change. They might not, but I'll, I'll be patient. How about I say, no, how about long-suffering for your spouse? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. It's actually the root word of the meaning, the, uh, uh, the, the root meaning of that word, is to suffer long now, I know we don't like to sign up for that, but love is patient. It is long-suffering. It is this thing that endures, that makes it through, that says, no matter what, I'll die if I have to. 
I'll die to my name. I'll die to my desires. I'll die to my past. I'll die to what future I think I want. I'll die. Now, I know that's easier said than done because many of us have been struggling with it for a long time. Guys especially. Our name, right, gets wrapped up in our title, and our title wrapped up in our job, and our job wrapped up in how much money we make, and how much money we make, on what tier we get a bonus level, and what tier we get the bonus level depends on whether we get advancement, and whether we've got rank, and on and on and on. Ladies, it's no different for you. You still create a name for yourself, whether you were uh, working outside the home or in the home, Right? I mean, I've heard stories of those drop-off lanes where you moms that stay at home are, I mean, you're talking to each other and there's a pecking order. Uh-huh. Well, my car stays at a nice 98 degrees and I have hot cocoa while we wait for the children. Right? And the other mom's going, man, I just barely got here in time, screeched in a parking lot and said, get in the car! I'm not nearly as loving as that mom. Yeah, I mean, so I get it, right? There's all these comparisons. Well, my kid's in three sports. My kid can't tie his shoes. You know, I mean, it's just like, what the heck? Why are we competing and comparing? When I'll guarantee you, our kids just want to see some actionable love. Don't get me wrong. Words saying, I love you, that means a lot. It does. But the way Paul talks is it's all about action. Love is long-suffering, which means you suffer a long time. According to the one couple, she's been suffering for 65 years. (laughs) By the grace of God, she said. I'm just giving you some perspective. Love is patient. Love is kind. The word is merciful. Love is kind. It's not mean. It's merciful. It gives chance after chance. And we're not good here. We're not. (laughs) We're not very merciful. We hold grudges. Well, that one time you hurt me, I'm going to get you back. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. You see, love does not say, well, I just love what the neighbors have and I want it. No, that's envious, right? It doesn't boast, well, I just love on my kids all the time. I'm just such a loving parent. I'm just such a loving spouse. You're boasting. I'll guarantee you, your kids and your spouse go, show me. Show me. Somewhere, somehow, sometime, don't just talk about it, show me. It's not proud, it's not boastful, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, and it's not easily angered. This, I know, is a big key for many, right? You're going to notice that love, well, I just love them, I'm just jealous, and I just am protecting our time, and, and, you know, so it just angers me when it's taken for granted. Okay, but that's not loving. That's you being angry. We'll just call a spade a spade. You see, the challenge here is is that being loving is actually exhausting. It takes great intellect 
It takes great effort. There should be degrees for being loving. And I'm not even sure a four-year undergraduate degree would begin to scratch the surface. A master's, a doctorate even, right? We could add on study after study. See, it's not about knowing, and that's where Paul gets into a little bit later. He says, you can know all this stuff, but without being loving, it's useless. It's not here up on the screen. I want to read you the first three verses that precede this. I want you to just listen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, when he says tongues, he literally means languages. Paul is known throughout the New Testament as being able to walk into a community and be able to speak their local dialect, not because he'd learned it, but by the gifting of the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean by tongues, okay? Also, he's using a little bit of hyperbole here. He says, if I can go into community after community and speak their language, and even if I could speak the language of the angels, but if I don't have love, it's a clanging symbol. Literally, the word picture there in Greek is of waves crashing on the seashore. And you say, oh, now, what's going on in my life? I wouldn't mind some waves crashing on the seashore. That, that sounds very peaceful. Waves crashing on the seashore are destroying things. This is what Paul says. Without love, I might as well just be destroying things with the words that I speak. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. So you can learn every 150 verses in a navigator memory pack. You can memorize all the books of the Bible. You can have favorite Bibles. Uh, you can do study after study after study. But if you're not known as a loving person, it doesn't matter. You know a lot about God. You talk a lot about God, but you don't act like God. You're not very loving. And if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I had a couple come in for some marriage counseling once and both of them said these words. <laughs> we have a lot of faith that this will get better. And I said, great. What are you willing to do differently? Well, right now, nothing, but we have faith. You can have all the faith you want, but until you both get on your knees and decide to change, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. So without love, and love is the action bird. This is what we're talking about, self-sacrificing, self-dying, putting others first, others' needs first. This is what we're talking about is love is an action verb that overtakes everything about your life. So it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you have the memory of the entire cloud system at your disposal when it comes to remembering your spouse's mistakes? How many of you are willing to admit that you are really good at that? Just 
Yep, thank you for a couple brave one of you. It stinks, right? It's hard. It's hard to live with that. And see, love keeps no record of wrongs. So it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it, it doesn't delight in evil, but always rejoices with the truth. It, it always wants the truth. And it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never lets down. Here's the beauty with love. It does all of those things. Now, again, as I started out the sermon, many of you are going, <laughs> this is quite the list you have for us today. I got maybe one of those things. I got maybe two of those things. I don't, I don't know how it is that my love always trusts, never doubting my spouse, always hopes, always believing him, always perseveres. Because what happens? You get tired, you get hungry, you get angry, you get lonely. Sin easily takes over. You're, you're, you're in too many places. You're spread too thin. And all you're doing, all you can do is just stay alive and breathe. And that's not the life God has for you. So we need to reorient. And to reorient means to make our lives also simpler. So that we're not spread so thin. So that what we can do is refocus on some of these major kinds of things. And so love never fails. Here's the, here's the good news that I want you to know from that. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, it says this. It says that God is love. So you see, God never fails. God always hopes, always perseveres. You see, God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He does not keep a record of wrongs. And how did God show his love to us? But that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for us. So yes, Jesus really is the answer. Well, how do you expect to do better? Jesus How come you're a failure? Me. What are we going to do about it? Jesus. Who needs to confess? Me. Who's going to forgive? Jesus. So, right, so there's really only two answers. Are we getting this? I don't want to get emails this week going, well, I told my spouse they couldn't make it to service this week, and I really let them know they needed to hear this sermon. I don't want to hear that. I want you to write me and tell me how much you needed to hear this sermon. Because you need to own your unlovingness. Fall to your knees and confess. And there, on your knees, is exactly where God will raise you back up and will say, let's get you back in the game. And friends in Christ, this is no easy thing. So let me tell you one of the things that I've learned is, which makes this the easiest to make this transformation possible. It's the other person allowing you to change. 
So spouse that's been hurt by another spouse routinely, openly, over and over and over, I'm going to ask you to give your spouse another chance, even though it doesn't feel like it. Even though it doesn't seem smart, I'm going to ask of that of you, that you would trust God, who is love, to be patient and to give you strength and to help you persevere. And those of you that have broken relationships with your kids, yep, pray that your kids would receive when you say, hey, I want to change our relationship. I want to be different. I want to be loving. Because by and large, they're going to go, yeah, we've heard it, we've... <laughs> You've promised it before. Okay, now it's got to go into action. Right? And putting things into action, that's not always the easiest thing. Sometimes you just got to do it. And trust, trust that your heart is going to come after. Will you hold hands with the person next to you? Oh, come on. Try it. It's new behavior. Don't resist it, Nate. Because here's the deal. If you shut down to ever being loved well, you'll never love well. Let me say that again. If you've been so hurt that you feel like I've got to protect my heart and I'll, I'll never let it be squished again, I'm going to guarantee you, you'll never be able to love the way other people need you to love. C.S. Lewis wrote about it this way. He said, oh, your heart that is broken, oh, you can close it off and put it in a box and it'll never be crushed again. But in that deep, dark place, in that box, it will suffocate and die and you'll never love or be loved again. So friends in Christ, let's try to love. And where we fall short, remember, God himself is love. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it smacks us we thank you, God, that, that it hits where it needs to and it brings us to our knees. And so we are not sorry, Father, for that. We welcome it. And in the midst of being smacked down by the law and realizing we are not loving, I pray, Father, that you would give us hope in knowing that through forgiveness we are new creations and that as new creations in Jesus Christ, it is him living in us who can love and I pray, Lord, that the world would see and know us, know us because of our loving actions, not just our loving words, but that we would truly be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and that his love in us and then our love to the world would truly be an example of transformation. And so, Father, as we prepare to depart from this place this morning, we pray that you would use us to be active in our loving of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and put your arms around your family here. Receive the closing benediction.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.